I have to be honest with you, this time we had a video today that I did not preview, but man, I thought that was one of the best ones. Anyone else? As a dad, I love puns, and I love pun you know, jokes and dad jokes, and I think they're, they're the highest form of humor in my opinion. So, good going, dads. But I will say this too, Monica looked at me during that, and she looked at me and said, you're not allowed to use any of those puns. So, so I won't, but, uh, uh, but boy, it's, it's, it, it, Father's Day is, is, a, is a fun day. And I want to say that today uh, that we want to honor all of our super dads out there. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there. And, and we really appreciate, uh, appreciate what you do. And, but we honor, we honor our dads because our dads are the models of what it means to be a man to our, the next generation of men, to the, to the boys. And so our dads become the models for what it, what it means to be a man. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question when you think about it, too. What does it mean to be a man? And I would say, it, culturally, we've never been more ig ignorant of the answer to that question than any time that I've been alive. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that, what does it mean to be a man? And you ask people on the street, and you're going to get a, a myriad of answers to that question of what it means to be a man. In fact, um, I would say traditional masculinity is kind of under attack, wouldn't you say? It's, it's kind of under attack, and maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but we, could, we, we need to know that. In fact, have you, how many of you have heard the term toxic masculinity? Yeah, that's a kind of a big buzzword right now. You've heard the term. And, and as a male, the first thing when I hear that, it comes, it's like males on a chalkboard. Like, what are you trying to say about me? You know, right? And, and, uh, but when I, I actually started looking at it a little bit closer, and I, um, I went to Wikipedia, which is not always a great source of information, but I went there to, to kind of figure out what, what's uh, being told. And Wikipedia says that toxic masculinity is uh, the, the concept of toxic masculinity is used in psychology and gender studies to refer to certain norms of masculine behavior that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves. And so it's an interesting thought, the idea that there are certain norms of masculine behavior. In other words, things that become normal culturally for men to do that become toxic, in, in other words, harmful to society or harmful to men themselves. So I read through the article and kind of, what are these norms that they're talking about? And there are basically three that it boiled down to. Uh, there was self-reliance, which is like never asking for directions. Men don't do that, right? I mean, men always ask for directions, right? Don't we? No. No, so self-reliance. Um, the other one was emotional repression. The idea of men not, not showing their emotions, and they become emotionally stunted. Um, and then the, the, the third one was a proclivity towards using violence as a, the method for resolving conflicts. And, uh, and so you put that, and then I looked at some other sources. I went to the Urban Dictionary as well, and they gave a pretty similar definition, and they gave the same three, but they added one of sexual aggressiveness, and they defined that as they see sex not as uh, an intimate connection with another person, but as a conquest to be achieved. So that was their definition of, of sexual aggressiveness. And so when you, know, when you look at that, I, and I, you actually look at that list, you have to say, and I have to admit, after looking at this, I realized that there are some legitimate gripes there. 
Can I be honest and say that? There are some legitimate gripes to be made there because when you look at that, how many of us would, would look at that list and say there's nothing toxic on that list? Because some of those things are, are toxic and, and depending on how you define them, you could say that all of those are actually toxic behaviors. And, uh, and so I think there are some legitimate observations here, but just like any time when, when someone makes a good observation, then you end up having a pendulum swing and so you have culture uh, has, has made some mistakes. And I think that culture, especially pop culture, is guilty of sometimes of expanding this list of negative norms to include things that might be masculine but that aren't toxic as well. And uh, uh, so, for example, if, uh, if a boy is competitive, because by nature boys tend to be more competitive, right? So what happens is, well, then if you're competitive, well, then you're toxic. And, and or if you are diligent, uh, then, then you are aggressive. Or, and, and you find that sometimes it can go to an opposite extreme. And, and the result is that, that, you know, we have problems on, on both extremes. And so I call this the, the problem of the pendulum. You know what a pendulum is, right? And so that basic idea, like you have something heavy on a string. If you pull it to one extreme and let go, what happens? It goes all the way, it doesn't stop in the middle, it continues to go to the other extreme. And so oftentimes when we notice something about one extreme, it can be a legitimate observation and then we have a pendulum swing that takes us to the opposite side. And we have this problem of a pendulum, I think, here. And I want to make sure that we understand biblically how to, to stay in the, in, in the middle there. And, and what I mean by that, on one side, we do have a list of toxic behaviors. And I would say that some men are actually getting away with toxic behaviors. And they excuse themselves for those behaviors based on their gender. For example, have you ever heard this phrase? Boys will be boys. Yep. Right, boys will be boys. So what happens? They can engage in toxic behavior... And then when it comes time to pay the consequences of that behavior, it's, well, no, you have to excuse them because they're just, they're just boys. As if boys are, you know, incapable of, of avoiding toxic behavior. And I think you've got that extreme. At the same time, on the opposite end of that spectrum, you want to avoid the problems of, of male shaming. And I think that there's a lot of cases where boys are being shamed simply for being boys, Right? Simply for being boys, for, for showing some masculinity in, in, uh, in, in their behavior. So, for example, if a boy wants to play with a toy gun, right, then what happens? Oh, then it, it's, it's, you must be, uh, have, the, have the, to the tendencies toward toxic masculinity uh, and, and, uh, and so on. Well, well, here's the problem. How many, how many men here, by the way, grew up playing with guns? Just out of curiosity. How many women? grew up here playing with guns. Okay, did you notice there were less hands at the second one, right? There, there was more hands. I think there's something that's innate in, in, in man that, that says, you know, we tend to be protectors. In fact, when we, we looked at, at some of the roles of, of the male a couple of years ago, and, and, and we talked about being a, a protector, a provider, and a pastor to their families. So by nature, we're protectors. So I remember saving my neighborhood from the Nazis so many times when I was a kid. And you know, we didn't have any Nazi attacks in Taylor, Michigan, so, uh, so I must have succeeded. Right? Why? Because there was just something that was built in me as being a male that says, I need to be this protector, right? And, and, um, and at the same time, we have to be careful because 
there's a sense of truth, and we want to watch that, that the other side, that if we start thinking that violence is the first method to resolve conflicts, that's a problem, isn't it? And so how do we find, how do we find the balance here to understand for what Scripture says about masculinity and, and what Scripture has to say uh, about these things? And that's, that's the problem. So when you look at this in, in real life, when you look at some of the toxic behaviors, if you go back to when I was a kid, let's say the 80s, so like way back, right? So... So in, when I grew up in the 80s, and you look at who the, the, the models of manhood were, uh, you'd have, you had models like, like Rambo, right? Who I found out they're still, they're making another Rambo, like Rambo 18 or something. And, and, uh, but Rambo, was a, you know, he was popular. And, uh, and talk about emotional repression, right? The guy was, he, he, there was emotional repression. Talk about use of violence to resolve conflicts. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, just a, a few verbal skills and you can avoid the whole thing, right? Uh, or another one, how about the Marlboro Man? Remember he, the Marlboro Man when, when there were a lot of uh, commercials for, for cigarettes back in those days? And, and, uh, and, and talk about that idea of that self-reliance. He didn't need anybody, right? And, until he got cancer and then he needed doctors. But uh, the Marlboro Man kind of went away after that. But... Um, Another one was popular. In fact, this one, they made a series of movies with, through, through multiple decades. Uh, James Bond, right? James Bond. Now, talk about sexual aggressiveness. If you define sexual aggressiveness as the idea that sex is a conquest and not an intimate connection, here was a guy who had more female encounters, I guess we'll just we'll call it, than he did movies. <laughs> By more than double. Right? So... This idea that, I mean, we're not talking about a man who was faithful to one woman, but yet this was what was lifted up as a man. You see a problem with, with that toxic masculinity that was being presented in culture, and so men started falling into that, and, and that is a problem. And, and, uh, and that's, that's, where, that's the, the culture I grew up in. Now, the idea of the pendulum, then, is that not only is that a problem, and, and I would say that's a problem that culture wrongly defined what masculinity was when I was a kid. The problem with the pendulum is I think that culture is sometimes also going to the other extreme and wrongly defining what manhood is today too. Does that make sense? Wrongly defining what it is to do. So where the 80s man is toxic, you know, if you look at the 80s man, 80s man is definitely toxic. I would say that sometimes the 2010s man isn't even masculine sometimes. Right? So to avoid toxic masculinity, why don't you avoid masculinity altogether? And that was a real picture of something that they're trying to sell clothes to men. I would not be caught dead <laughs> wearing that. I'm sorry. How do we find the balance? How do we find the balance? And I think that there is no better answer to that than the scripture right here. In fact, the scripture is referred to as an anchor. You know what an anchor does? An anchor avoids drift. Your boat is attached to an anchor, and it keeps you from going too far in one direction or the other. The, the scriptures does that too, and the scriptures works as an anchor so that we can look at this and say, what does it mean to be a man? Don't go to culture. They're going to give you wrong answers. Sometimes over here, sometimes over there. Go to the scriptures. Amen? Amen. This is where we're going to find the answers. So, subtitle today's message, uh, Authentic 
manhood. In other words, what, what manhood is really supposed to be. And, and I'm going to use an acrostic today. I'm going to call it uh, R-E-A-L. So real, what it means to be a real man. And, uh, and I have four things. This is not an exhaustive list. But I just think in light of where our culture is today, in light of some of the things that even Christians are believing about manhood today, here are four, uh, four things that, that are signs of what a real man does by God's definitions. Make sense? So if you're ready to go on that journey with me, let's, uh, let's do that. Let's, let's hop straight in. Number one, real men. Real men relate effectively. Real men relate effectively. And I would even go further to say they, re they, relate, they know how to relate to God, they know how to relate to their family, and they know how to relate to their world, uh, whether it's their workplace or their neighbors. Uh, real men relate effectively. And I'll, I'll state what I mean by this, and then we'll go to Scripture and look at, at why I say that. I would say that the role model of the emotionally constipated uh, Rambo-type uh, figure, that is not a biblical one. That is not a biblical uh, role model for us at all. But boys are oftentimes told that if you express emotions, you can get your man card taken away. Have you ever heard that? Now, you can't express emotions or you'll get, you know, real men don't cry. You've heard that, right? Of course, the, the shortest verse in the Bible would contradict that. Jesus wept. If anyone that's going to say Jesus is not a man, is, is, I'll have words with you. <laughs> and, and so this idea that, that being emotionally repressed is just part of being a man, that's not true. And so let's take, take a look at scriptures to see what the scriptures have to say about that. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, and to give a little bit of the context here, uh, uh, Saul was the king. He was a man's man, right? He was a, a manly king. In fact, when he was a, 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 a selected to be the king, they said that he was head and shoulders above the rest in every aspect of a man. So the idea, he was, he was a man's man, and, and so he was elected as king, and it came time for battle. He's getting ready for battle, and so he wants Samuel to come and bless uh, the offering, because that's what a priest is supposed to do. He's asking for him to come, but Samuel gets delayed, so he decides to take matters into his own hands, and he offers a sacrifice that really only the priest should do. Samuel shows up as soon as he's done, and he says this. He says, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Let that sink in for a little bit. In context, understanding, Saul was this manly man, right? He was, he was a man's man. And by all human standards, uh, he knew how to put on a tough act. And you, you, know, you never see him cry in Scripture. You also see that self-reliance. Not once do you see him admit a mistake in Scripture. Even though you do see him being confronted in his sin. Always has an excuse. Never once. Never once admitted his mistakes. And, and, and yet, he's a, this man's man. And God says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to a man after my own heart. And we all know who that is. Who did he choose? David. He chose David, who happened to be the, the runt of his family. 
from a human perspective, they looked at David. And even the father, when he was told, one of your kids is going to be king. He says, all right, collect everyone except for David. He can watch the sheep while we figure out which one of my real sons is going to have a, a, the chance of being a king. Didn't see the, 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 the potential in David. And, and so David was not. He didn't fit uh, uh, what, what people saw as real talent and real ability. And, and God says, I'm going to take away your kingdom, Saul, and I'm going to give it to a man after my own heart. So what kind of man was that? It's David. In fact, if you, if you skip ahead uh, to uh, 2 Samuel, I think it says 1 Samuel on, on the screen, I'm sorry, but it's, it's 2 Samuel chapter 6. Here's what we find about David. David, by the way, had, was rejoicing at this point in, in, uh, in, in chapter 6 because the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of the Lord, was coming home, right? It's coming home. And what do we find in verse 4? Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. All right, so kings wear kingly clothes. Linen, that's what you wear under your kingly clothes, right? Like a t-shirt, right? And, and, and so, so David is so excited about this that he goes out in public, and he's, he's dancing before the Lord. I mean, what is this? This is an expression of his emotions to God for the fact that he was allowing his presence back into, in, into Jerusalem. And, and so David dances before the Lord. And, and guess what? Saul's daughter, Michal, who was, was David's wife, Saul's daughter saw this, and she grew up under Saul. You know, she grew up under the man's man. And she grew up up there. And look at what happens. Look at uh, verse 16 in that same uh, chapter. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Mishal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. My dad would never have done that. He, he would never see him in public without his kingly clothes on. You would never see him expressing such strong emotions. And to see him doing that, well, she saw it and she despised him in her heart. See what's going on? She fell for the world's concept of manhood. And all of a sudden, David didn't live up to it and she despised him. At the same time, God's looking at David and saying, there's a man who's after my own heart. She fell for the wrong image of what manhood was supposed to be she made that mistake, and so, of course, uh, things weren't pretty when David came home that night, right? And, and so things were not going well. If you skip just a little bit to verse 21, uh, we read this. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. You see what he's saying? Hey, Michal. The Lord chose not to continue this with your dad, and he did choose to continue this with me. He's reminding her of that. He says, therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will, even be, I, will even, I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. Saying, I'm not going to be that man's man because it lifts himself up. Like I'm gonna, uh, The idea of lifting yourself up, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be humble. And I'm going to be humble enough that when I have a chance to relate to my God, I'm going to relate to my God. And if I'm going to express emotion, I'm going to express emotion to my God. Do you see the difference in why God says, I reject one type of man and I accept another type of man? 
David, David had his faults, but he was a man. And he was a man after God's own heart. So real men, this idea that real men have to be uh, emotionally stunted uh, is not true. We were created to worship. Think about that. We were created to worship. That's an expression of emotion. And even men were created to worship. And so we were created to, to relate, to relate to people, to relate to God, relate to our families on all levels. So don't fall for the lie, like Michelle did, that, the, that emotional vulnerability is a crime w- worth losing your man cargoes. It's not true. Real men relate effectively. Number two, real men earn an honest living. Let me, let, me, uh, let me explain this. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember that? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God cursed both men and women separately. He did that on purpose. He, 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 he curses them separately because their sins were different and because their roles in life were different. And he curses them in such a way that, that each of them were going to have a, a more difficult time fulfilling their roles in, in society and their roles in the family. And, and so I was making it more difficult. So for Eve, you might remember, he gave her pain in childbearing, implying that a part of her role was that of the nurturer, especially the nurturing of, of children. And it makes sense. God even created women physically in a way that they can nurture children that men just cannot. It's just part of God's design. But that's just the physical. God God designed a woman in a way to do things that a man man cannot do. And that's why on Mother's Day we honor women, not for their ability to be like men, but for their ability to do things that men can't do. Right? Then he comes to Adam. Look what he says here. In Genesis 3, 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Men, let me just speak to you for a moment. Men, this was not Eve's curse. This is ours. This was our curse. Um, we are to be hardworking men. We are to be providers. It is our responsibility to make sure that our families are taken care of. Now, I know when I say that, that it sounds kind of countercultural, and I want to make a note here. I am not saying that a woman should not work. Right? If you look at Proverbs 31, the, the woman of noble character, she was working. Right? Um, I'm not saying that a woman should never work. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that the primary responsibility for the provision of the home rests on us, men. It's our job to provide. God created us to be providers so that we can provide for people beyond ourselves. And, and, and that's why we read in 1 Timothy 5, 8, why we read that God hates laziness so much in men. 1 Timothy 5.8, we read this. But if any man does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that's strong language, isn't it? But he's saying, hey, if you're a Christian, if you have faith in God, 
and you're a man, you should be providing for your family, especially for those that are inside your realm, right? And, and even so, that implies that if we can, we should even be supporting those that are beyond us. My parents are getting older. Guess what? It is now part of my responsibility, part of my obedience to honor your father and mother is to make sure that they're taken care of. Which is why I was so glad to find my brother moved into town with them, so he's, he's going to be there. <laughs> no, they, they watch this every night. I, they know I would take care of them too, but I'm glad. Why? But my brother is actually fulfilling what, what the Bible ta talks about. He is honoring his father and mother. He's providing not just for himself, but now he's going to be providing in, 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 in ways helping them. And when I called my parents this week, I could hear my brother in the background. I'm like, what's Tom doing there? He's helping them put in a new floor. I, I love that. That's the way it should be. And, and, and God created us that way. You know, he created us so that we can earn an honest living. And I understand there are exceptions to rules. I understand that there are injuries, and I understand that there, there are times. But, but men in general, I want you to understand that that is our curse, our responsibility, and we need to, we need to, to be men. And real men are going to earn an honest day's wage. Number three, real men accept responsibility. Real men accept responsibility. This is just as obvious in that Genesis 3, um, in that Genesis 3 context because God was saying, hey, men, you made a mistake. You have, to, you have to accept the responsibilities. In fact, I want to bring up the verse one more time in Genesis 3, 17. And I want you to look at how many times God says, to Adam, you. Somehow implies it's, this was your mistake and this is your responsibility. So let's, let's count. Then Adam, or then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the, the voice of your wife. And you have eaten, the, the word you is implied in the verb there, and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of, of it all the days of your life. What's he saying? You messed up. I still love you, Adam. I'm going to provide for you, but you messed up, and you need to accept the consequences. Real men accept consequences. They, uh, they, uh, they, they, we make mistakes, but we, 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 we accept the responsibility and in fact, there's, the idea behind that statement, boys will be boys, is the exact opposite of this. When you say boys will be boys, what's the idea? The idea is that boys can get involved in some kind of mischievous activity, but when it comes time to accept the responsibility, they should be let free. Why? Because eh, boys will be boys. And they should be free from the responsibility, free from the consequences of those choices, because they're just boys being boys. No. Real men accept responsibility. They accept responsibility. You make a promise to your employer, keep it. Right? You'll follow through. You promise to be loyal to one woman, then you're going to be faithful to those vows. You have children, then you're going to do whatever it takes to make the sacrifices necessary to raise those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what it means. By the way, this is why sex before marriage is prohibited in Scripture. Think about it for a moment. Sex before marriage is when a boy says, I want to have all of the physical pleasure without accepting the responsibility of 
taking care for and committing myself to a person. And if by chance children result from that, I am free from those responsibilities because I'm not making that commitment that I'm always going to be there for you. Because if that commitment were true, then you would, have, you would seal it with a vow and give a ring, right? right. So real men wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Real men would say, I accept responsibility, so I'm not going to engage in that activity until I'm ready to accept that responsibility. Amen? Let me speak just for a moment to the, to the single people in, uh, in, in the room. Boys, I will tell you this. Don't put any girl in that situation. Don't put a girl in that position. Be a man. And what I mean by that in this case, be a man means you wait until you're ready to provide for that woman and be a husband to that woman before you put her in that situation. All right? And girls, I want to tell you this, for the singles, uh, girls that are in here, if a man is willing to put you in that position, he is not a real man. He is a mischievous boy. Wait for a man. Real men accept responsibility. It's not, it's not happening in our culture, but it can happen in our church. It can happen in Christ Christianity. Real men accept responsibility. Fourthly and lastly, real men lead courageously. Real men lead courageously. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. You know, there's a sense of, of, of man, the idea of being strong is, is kind of countercultural right now. But you know what? God created us that way, to be strong. And there are multiple ways to be strong. It does, it's, not, it's not just about physical strength. Some of the strongest men I've ever met were on their deathbed, unable to, to get out of bed, but the strength that they showed was, was, was a model for manhood, amen? And you look at that and say, that's what it, what it means to be a man. One of my favorite uh, professors, uh, his name was Dr. Rembert Carter, and uh, this guy, he was, his mind was as sharp as a tack. I mean, he... He would get calls from Ronald Reagan to, for advice on, on policy. I mean, and he had offers at all sorts of Ivy League schools to teach, and yet he chose to, 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 to teach at the luxurious uh, Baptist Bible College of Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Right? He did that as a, as a sacrifice. So he did that as a service. And, 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 uh, this, he was a man. And then uh, when he was dying on his deathbed, I was actually taking a course on men's ministry at the, at the seminary. It was a doctoral course that they were offering. And so I was there, and, and as they're teaching, it was while he was, he was on his deathbed, and he, was, he actually ended up, he ended up dying during that week. And, uh, and our professor, uh, the professor that we had went and, and saw him, and he came back, and he said, guys, I'm telling you, we've been talking about manhood all week in this class, but right there is a real man. Because I went in there, and he's in suffering pain. And he said, I went in there and I started to cry because he, was, because he was in so much pain. And Dr. Carter pointed his finger at him and said, don't you cry for me. He said, I have been preaching the grace of God my entire life and now I am experiencing it in a way I never thought I could. That's a man's man. He was strong. Too weak physically to get out of bed. He was strong. And so I wanted to say, when the Bible talks about a man being strong, it is so much more than just physical abilities. He's saying, act like men, be strong, be courageous. And I understand that this, uh, this point is a little bit countercultural, and, uh, and 
sometimes when you say for men to lead, that that, that that means you're saying that if a woman has leadership skills, she should take a back seat. I'm not saying that at all. I think God gifts women with leadership capacities too, and I think he does that for a reason, and they can use those leadership skills. Uh, this is not saying anything against women, but I'm just saying that men, by for us, by nature, by the very act of, of creation, men, by nature, of our creation, we were designed by God to be influencers. To get out there and to, to, to accomplish things and to, to influence people. In fact, um, who, who is given the responsibility to lead the families? Men. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. And it says, and you, fathers. He points to us specifically. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Dads, this is our responsibility as dads. We need to bring up our children in, in, in an admonition of the Lord so they, they understand they're nurtured in their faith in their relationship with God. We're supposed to be influencers. That's, that's what God has designed us for. Leadership Journal um, just put out a study that they had done recently, and it was a, a study on a father's influence on the salvation of other family members. And so what they did is they, they only took families where nobody was saved, and then when one person gets saved, then they would look at how many, what's the practicality, what's the percentage of other family members that would get saved. And so they tested it with children, if children got saved first, with, with moms, if moms got saved first, or if dads got saved first. So uh, with children, so in other words, it's an unsaved family, if a child accepts Christ first, they, they found that 3.5% of the other family members would also become Christians. Now, by the way, I just want to throw a little caveat in there. I'm not saying we shouldn't do children's ministry, right? Because you lead children to the Lord, guess what? They come back to this same chart years later. They, they become the moms and dads, right? So children's ministry, I'm not, I think we should, we should definitely have children's ministry. And I'm grateful for those who are involved in children's ministry and children's uh, evangelism of children as well. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that statistically, if a child is the first one in the family to accept Jesus Christ, it, it doesn't have a lot of influence on whether or not the moms and dads and the sisters and brothers become Christians. <coughs> With moms, they did it, and it, went, it goes up significantly. Uh, it goes up to 17% of the family members accept, uh, accept Jesus Christ as well. When the fathers are the first ones in the family to accept Jesus Christ, this is, this is not me. This is their study. 93% of the family members accept Christ. What am I saying by this? I mean, God designed, designed you to be influencers of people. He designed us that way. And, and we need to make sure that we don't sell ourselves short for that. Real men lead courageously. And we need to do that. So applications. When you think of applications for this, I, I'm going to bring it down to just two things. Very simple. Number one, men. Don't fake manhood. What I mean by that, don't fake manhood, is you don't have to live up to that worldly image of either extreme. You don't have to live up to the worldly image of, of being this self-reliant, emotionally inept, socially, well, I don't, I, how do I put it? Socially inept person in order to be an authentic man. At the same time, you also can be that courageous provider and protector of your wife and your family. And you can be all of that too 
and don't be ashamed of, of being a man as God has called you to be a man. Leading your family is not toxic masculinity. So don't fake it. Don't, don't listen to anyone else's definitions of a man. Follow this right here. So this is what it means to be a man. Secondly, I would say be real. Be real. And by that I mean you relate to God. You relate to your wife. You relate to your kids. You earn an honest living. You accept responsibility. And you lead courageously in the sphere of influence that God has given you. Or as Paul put it, act like men. You don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to, to, to be a superhero to be a super dad. You can act like men. I would say to the, to the women as well, I would say this, honor men for their manhood. Not based on what the world says, but based on what the scripture says. Honor your, the fathers. We're commanded to honor our fathers in scripture. Honor them for those things. Don't fall for the trap that Saul's daughter fell for. When she had a comparison between her husband and her dad, and she said, my dad is the man because he fits all the world's standards of a man. And my husband, I despise because he doesn't fit the world's definitions of a man. All the while, David was the one fitting the definitions of a man by God's definitions. So I would say for there's application for us all, let's honor the things that God honors. And so today I want to honor our men for being men. Is that okay? I want to honor our men. I want to honor our fathers for being men. I want to honor my dad for being a man today and showing me and my generation what it means to be a real, authentic man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the models that you've left for us in Scripture and in many cases, right, in our own lives and in our own families. These models of manhood. And Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that we would not be swayed by, by the world in one direction or the other. That we would stick to what your word says. And that our men would be men. Loving their wives. Worshiping their creator. Raising their children in the nurture and admonition of you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.